Hey, good morning. Good morning. So this past week, I took a staycation, uh, and I decided to replace the floors in my master bathroom and my closets, so it was all carpet, and I had grandeur plans for this week, right? Like, I was going to get it done on Monday, Tuesday, Tuesday, you know, by noon at the latest. I was going to knock it all, I was putting vinyl planks in, and it was going to be great, and I brought like four books home, and I was going to read and play ping pong with my neighbor at night, watch the game. It was going to be such a relaxing week, except I didn't finish till like Friday at like 1 a.m., so I guess that's Saturday morning. It was painful. I exercised muscles that I did not even know existed. Uh, it was just taking that carpet off and that under, like, why do they have to staple that underlay in? And it's just like everywhere, like, just taking those staples out took like a few hours at least. Anyways, that's not what we're talking about. But when I was Thursday morning, when I was preparing uh, this message, and, it, you know, we're looking through James chapter 1, and at verse 2, there's a header that says trials and maturity. I was like, <laughs> that's why this happened this week, didn't it? <laughs> So uh, let's pray and we'll get into this new series. Thank you, Father, that we can read your word because your word is a source of truth. Your word is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. Pray, Lord, that as we read your word, that you would use your word to cut through the lies and the deceits and the idols and the false idols and all the things that we have listened to that are not true, that seeds and, and weeds that have been sowed into our heart from the enemy, pray that those would be uprooted, that you would sow into our hearts your word, your truth, and that you would transform us as we hear and read and, and work through your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, today we're starting a new series entitled Practical Wisdom for Today, and that's because James is a kind of the New Testament version of Proverbs. It's, whiz, it's, it's written kind of in that genre of wisdom literature, which is, I love, I love the book of Proverbs, and I love the book of James, and, and it's just so great to, to read through this, and there's so much of this that can be applied. Over the next 11 weeks, we're going to be looking through sections of this book, and um, and, and really working through this. But well, actually, it's, it's not really a book. It's a letter. And if you look at the first verse in James, it says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, so I guess the first question that we need to ask ourselves before we get into this is, is who is James? Right? There's a lot of individuals named James in the scripture. So who specifically is the one that wrote this book? Well, as we see, it's actually Jesus' brother, this James, James, who is not just a leader of the church, he was, in fact, the leader of the Jerusalem church. And we see that because when Paul, for example, uh, or, or, you know, when Paul arrived in Jerusalem after his third missionary journey, who did he report to? He reported to James. But what about Peter? When Peter was released from prison in the book of Acts, at that moment, who did he ask that word be sent to? James. Uh, in Galatians 2, when Paul lists the pillars of the church, he lists three names, and the first one is James. James is the leader of the Jerusalem church, and, and that is who is writing this letter. 
Now, why did he write the letter? Who, who is he writing the letter to, and why did he write it in the first place? And this is also another important question for us before we dig through uh, this, this book, because it gives us context, right? Why did he write it? Now, have you ever written an invitation, a, a letter, a thank you note? Have you ever written one of those for no particular reason? Like, hey, dear Scott, from Daniel, or, or dear Tammy, I, um, I, I, no, I, I'm not writing this for any reason. So, dear, dear no, okay, from Daniel, right? There's, if, if you, you can't, you don't, we don't write letters for no reasons. We don't, I mean, think about the last time you wrote a love letter or a hate letter, right? Or, or, or maybe it was a thank you card or an invitation. I mean, everything, or an email, a work email, everything that we write is for a reason, so when we read this letter that James wrote, we see that it was written for a reason, and he actually wrote it to this church that was scattered, to the church that was scattered. So let's look at James chapter 1, verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes, right? This is who he is writing it to, to the 12 tribes dispersed abroad greetings, James wrote this letter to the dispersed church. In Acts 8.1 and Acts 11.9, we read that it was because of persecution that the church was scattered from Jerusalem. In fact, because of persecution, we are here today. Because of persecution, the church was not just contained in Jerusalem. So we read you know, that the severe persecution broke out in the church in Jerusalem, and the church was scattered throughout the land of Judea and Samaria. And then they, they made their way through to Phoenicia, Cyprus, Antioch. The church was scattered because of Jerusalem. So James wanted to address what the church was going through in this letter. Now, there's some scholars who believe that James was written in, in kind of the mid-A.D. 40s. Now, whether it was written then, it could not have been written later than A.D. 62, because that was the year of James's martyrdom. So whether it was written in A.D. kind of 45 to 62, what we need to understand is that the, the individuals who would have received this letter who would have first received this letter, the individuals that James was specifically writing to, they, the majority of them, would have experienced Jesus being nailed to the cross in their lifetime. The majority of them would have experienced Jesus having been raised from the dead. The majority of them would have first, would, would be able to go, if they were not a first-hand eyewitness of the account of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, they could have gone to people who would have experienced that and who would have seen it themselves. They would have experienced Acts 2, which is where thousands upon thousands of people came to know Jesus Christ, came to profess faith in Jesus, where the church was worshiping in public, where the church was witnessing in public, where everyone around them was like, man, look at what the Lord, look at what is doing, what, what is happening with those people, look at the life transformation that is taking place. They would have heard about or firsthand experienced all of that. And now, when they're sitting down, and reading this letter that James wrote, it's completely different, isn't it? They are now not in Jerusalem, they are scattered. They are now not freely worshiping, but they are being persecuted. They are the dispersed church, and this is who James is writing to. 
And this is why it's so relevant to us today, because we, as Christians, don't have a country that is our own. There is no Christian country in this world. We are Christians who have our citizenship in another land. It doesn't matter what country it says on your passport. We all belong to another land, another reality. We have a different identity when you are redeemed through Jesus Christ. Now, this letter is relevant to us today because the church today is scattered. The church today is dispersed. And, and sometimes that persecution is evident. Like, I mean, even this past week, these past weeks, we, we see what's happening in the Philippines and ISIS, who typically does not have that much. I mean, we think of ISIS, you know, Middle East. We think of ISIS, you know, maybe North Africa. We don't think about ISIS in the Philippines. And we see the persecution that is happening there. But we see the persecution that is happening amongst Christians throughout the world as well, at the same time in that 1040 window. So persecution amongst Christians is evident, it's visible today as it was back then, but it's also persecution is subtle. Maybe it's more that subtle persecution that you and I face on a daily basis, where maybe you're afraid of being seen as intolerant when you share your faith with friends, your family members, you're, you're being seen as biased, and it's this subtle persecution that we also experience as well, but nevertheless, when we read this book, and, and we read this letter, and this letter was written to the dispersed church that was persecuted, this letter is for us today. So let's get into this, and let's look at James chapter 1, starting from verse 2. Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. I mean, that's easy, right? Easy stuff. I mean, trials, hardship, sickness, of course we'd celebrate when we would experience hardship, Right? I mean, it's, we, we all know this, right? It's, it's all, so let's, let's move on. Verse 5. Now, if any of you lacks with... <laughs> not really, right? I mean, think about the last time you or a loved one was at the doctor's office and you were faced with a diagnosis that was going to change the course of your life. Or one day you were living this way and the, and the next day was completely different. Think about the last time you were at a funeral, the last time you were bullied, felt left out, uh, the last time you were lying in bed and flew with, with or, or maybe, maybe with another sickness, or maybe when you had to make a decision between deceit and integrity or, or purity and impurity. I mean, how many of us welcome these situations? And, and we can't just wait to get to the next one, right? It's like, we're, we're like, yeah, bring on hardship, bring on pain, right? Let's, let's fight. Like, how many of us feel this way whenever we encounter situations like this. And to be honest with you, I love being pain-free. <laughs> I hate stress. I, I, I grind my teeth at night when I'm stressed, and, and I always wake up with a, my, my jaw is like just, just tense, and I'm like, well, why do I feel this way? It's because of stress, and my jaws hurt a lot because of Reno's. Like, I'm glad that is not my day job. <laughs> Uh, because my jaw hurts quite a bit right now. I don't like this. I don't like hardship. I don't like conflict. So when I think of trials, the last word that I 
that comes to my mind is joy. Yet when James begins this letter, not just with the admonition to be joyful when you experience trials, he says, consider it great joy. Now, in the, in the CSB translation, which is the one I'm using, the word is great. In the NASB, it's all. Uh, in the NIV, it's pure. In the message paraphrase, it's sheer gift. Right? Consider it a sheer gift when you experience trials. Consider it great joy, pure joy, all joy. I mean, what do you think would happen if we respond with thanksgiving instead of complaint the next time we experience hardships or trials? What do you think would happen if we see hardship as a sheer gift and we see it as an opportunity for great joy because in and through the trials, God is producing endurance in us and he's preparing us for this greater work that he's calling us to. It's kind of like working out, right? I I hate working out because I'd rather sleep in. When I, when I do work out a, a couple times a week, I'll get up 5.30 in the morning and, and try to go before work, and I hate every moment of it, right? I would rather sleep another 15 or 30 minutes than wake up early in the morning, right? I would rather sit on my couch and get my bicep workout by eating chips than by lifting weights, and you can ask my wife, Christina, like, I am obsessed with chips. Like, she'll, she'll have to, like, buy those veggie chips which I know are healthier, they just don't taste the same, right? I mean, it's just, I just want hickory smoked barbecue chips. Like, it's just like my favorite thing, or jalapeno. And I just, even when my wife will like buy those healthy chips, sometimes I'll just on my way home from work stop by a Kroger and buy uh, the, the other ones, right? Because I would rather eat chips than work out, right? Because it's hard. It's when you are ripping your muscles, lifting those weights, when you are pushing yourself that extra mile, you know, cycling or, or running on the treadmill or, or using the, whenever, when you're like pushing yourself and so there's this moment when you are working out where you're just, you're, you're not sweating yet, right? You're just going. And there's this moment, I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, where you can like either end your workout because it's just about to get hard or you can push through. And there's that moment when if you push through, you start sweating buckets and your heart, it's just like there's this moment, I don't know what they call it, but if you push through, it's just like you're, you're, you're burning more calories, it just, it just feels so good afterwards. And that's why I do it, right? I, I, I work out because I know that when I work out, my heart's going to be healthier. When I work out, I can eat more chips, right? <laughs> no, we all know, I mean, just... That is actually why we're, no, I mean, you know, <laughs> I work out so I can eat fried chicken after church today, right? So, I mean, we, we work out because our fat is being burned, our, muscle, our, our muscles are being strengthened. When my daughters had a, a father, when there was a father-daughter dance at, at school a few weeks ago, they kept on asking me the week leading up to it, are you working out? Right? Are, you, are, you, are, you grow, are you doing your biceps? Because you need to hold both of us during the dance. Right? And they kept on reminding me that I had to work out, right? So we work out, right? We work out. We go through that temporary trial and pain because of what happens afterwards. Now, when I remember this, right? When I remember this, and this is at the, on the top of my mind, I'm able to change my perspective and instead consider it a great joy that I get to work out in the mornings. Now, imagine what would happen 
if in the same way we view exercise, we view trial and hardships. And we accepted them, and we welcomed them, and we thanked God for them, and we allowed them to run their full course. Now, instead of it being an op- as an opportunity, instead of trials being an opportunity for the enemy to tear us down, they would turn into an opportunity for God to shape us and to mold us into his image, right? Let's keep reading verse 5. Now, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it'll be given to him, but let him ask in faith without doubting, for the doubter is like the surging sea, driven and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord, being double-minded and unstable in all his ways. What does wisdom and asking in faith without doubting, what does this have to do with trials? Oftentimes, we will take this verse, especially verse 5, pull it out and just be like, no, if you need wisdom. You know, you have a test coming up. You need wi- Ask God for wisdom. You don't know how to solve this situation at work. Ask God for wisdom. Right? And we pull this out. But as we see in this passage, wisdom and asking God for wisdom in faith without doubting has everything to do with trials. Because we can't just change our perspectives on trials with the snap of our fingers. This is not behavior modification. This is not, well, you're going through some trials, just talk to yourself, you know, get, pat yourself on the back and say, pick yourself up by your bootstraps and you can, you can get through this, Daniel, right? You can get through this, write some self-positive, you know, positive motivation right on your, right on your shower door with soap. You can do this, Daniel. Like, that's not what we're talking about here. Right? We are asking God for wisdom because God is the only one that can change our perspective. God is the only one that can change our hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's when we ask God for wisdom and ask Him in faith, He begins to, he begins to do a work in our life. Not us. He begins to do a work in our hearts. Now, do you believe that God can bring beauty from the ashes? Do you believe that when your life is on the floor and that glass has shattered and the pieces are all over and and, and you don't know if you can go any deeper than that and someone comes with a sledgehammer and starts put, you know, you know, just destroying those shattered pieces even into more smaller fragments. Do you believe that from those ashes, from those broken shards of glass, that God can bring beauty? That he can turn that into a mosaic, that he can transform that? Do you believe that? Do you believe that God can redeem the, those trials and those temptations that, are, are, that you are working through, that, that you are going through, those hardships? Do you believe that God can redeem those things for his good, for his glory, that he wants to shape you through his image, through those trials? Do you believe that? Ask God for wisdom to believe it. Ask God to help you in this. When you go through those situations, don't just throw up a trite little prayer and ask God, hey God, can you please help me? I, I just came over from our Mount Juliet campus. Right? I preached this message there and, and I'm sharing this message now. And, and right before I got up, we sang the song, Bless the Lord. You know, we sang, uh, we sang, you know, bless the Lord, oh my soul. And, and we also sang, you know, blessed, uh, you give and take away. You know that song? Right? You give and take away. My heart will choose to say, Lord, blessed be your name. 
right? When you sing that song, when God gives, I can sing that song. Blessed be your name, Lord, when the, when the heavens are showering down, right? I can pay my car off, right? I can pay this debt down. Blessed be your name, Lord. It is so good, right, to worship in the Lord's house today, right? Like we, 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 and then when, when trial comes, can we sing that? Do you, can you sing that song with as much vigor when everything is falling apart? And you say, blessed be your name. You, you've taken everything away. Yeah, blessed be your name. It's not as easy, is it? But as we see in these verses, our God is generous. Our God is true. Our God is faithful. So when you go through those trials, when you go ask God for wisdom, sing these songs of worship. I mean, that's why in the Old Testament, when, when, when the Israelites walked across, you know, they, they crossed the Red Sea. What did they do? They worshiped, right? When the apostles were in prison, what did they do? They worshiped. Why, why do we have the, the book of Psalms in here? The book of Psalms is, is a hymnal. <laughs> it's worship. And the Lord gives us to, the Lord gives this to us so that we can be reminded of his promises, so that we can be reminded in, in temptation and trial Hey, I may not want to sing this song. I may not feel that you are going to redeem this situation. But Lord, I know, I know that you are true to your word. So I'm going to sing whether I feel it or not. I'm going to sing, bless the Lord, oh my soul. With tears weeping down your face. Not you, you not truly, truly, because I've sung these worship songs not truly believing them. But I know their truth. I didn't know if they were true for me, but they were truth that God had said. So I said, yes, God, you say this is true. I'm going to sing them out in faith. I'm going to believe in the Lord began to change my heart. Because his word is true. His word does not return void. And that's why James says, ask God without doubting. Ask him in faith. Now in James chapter 1, uh, let's keep on reading verse not, from verse 9. Let the brother of humble circumstances boast in his exaltation, but let the rich boast in his humiliation, because he will pass away like a flower of the field. For the sun rises, and together with the scorching wind dries up the grass. Its flower falls, and its beautiful appearance perishes. In the same way, the rich person will wither away while pursuing his activities. These verses illustrate another trial that many of us have faced, maybe are facing or will face, that of finances. There's nothing as visibly and as tangibly debilitating as debt. So whether you are mired in debt and people are knocking on your door, whether you are mired in debt and it's hard to see a way out, or maybe you are rich in finances and it's easy, there, there's as much of a trial on that side because you can become complacent and greed can grow in your heart. And whether it's debt or abundance, in these verses, God reminds us that we are not to place our identity in what we have. We are not to place in our, our identity in what we own or don't have or what we, who we know or in any of that. 
Our identity is in the Lord. And that is why I love Proverbs chapter 30, verse 7 to 9. And I was reading this this past week. Two things I ask of you, don't deny them to me before I die. Keep falsehood and deceitful words far from me. And here we go. Give me neither poverty nor wealth. Feed me with the food I need. Otherwise, I might have too much and deny you, saying, who is the Lord? Or I might have nothing and steal, profaning the name of my God. Now, whether we have little or a lot, finances are a constant source of trial and temptation. So let's not boast in what we have or don't have. Instead, let us boast in the Lord and see our finances as they actually are the Lord's. We are just temporary stewards of it. All right, let's read chapter, uh, verse 12. Blessed, blessed, this is kind of like Matthew 5. In the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, where, where Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those. This, it's the same vein that this is written in. Blessed is the one who endures trials, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Not only are trials a means for God to grow in us endurance and to shape us into the image of Christ so that we can be used for his purposes on this side of eternity, but we also see that this, these, this verse here has eternal implications as well. Now, if you look at Hebrews chapter 12, just a couple pages before, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, we read about this race that we are in. Right? It says in verse 1, Therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith, for the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. As Jesus said in John 16, you will have suffering in this world. Be courageous, I've conquered this world. So to those that endure trials, we are reading here, we need to consider those trials a great joy. We need to actually consider them a great joy and ask the Lord, to not end them, but to bring them to completion. Because God wants to turn those ashes into beauty. He will give you, as we see in verse 12, He will give you the crown of life that God has promised to those who love Him. And He will redeem and restore like only He can. Sometimes we experience that redemption. Sometimes we experience that restoration and those, that, that beauty. Sometimes we experience that here on earth in our lifetime. Maybe it's a month after those ashes. Maybe it's a year. Maybe it's 10 years. Maybe it's not even while we are alive here. But God is true to His word. And He will redeem every trial for His purpose. He will redeem every hardship for his glory if you allow him to bring it to completion. Now, when my wife and I were before kids, we were living in Korea. We lived in Korea for a couple of years. We were pastoring there. And, and I remember it was like we moved there. We 
rented a, a, we leased a house that was fully furnished because we didn't really know there was an Ikea there or anything like that. So we just, <laughs> hallelujah, Ikea's coming to Nashville anyway, but that's, that's not a part of this sermon at all. Uh, but I, yeah, I'm happy for that. So there was no Ikea, right, in, in Korea. I mean, we didn't know where to buy stuff. Uh, there was no e- eBay or, you know, so, so we went and we got a fully furnished place. And a year after, we were like, okay, we know where we want to live. So we, uh, the lease ended and we, and we got another place and we bought appliances. We bought couches, bed, like we bought everything. We were like, man, we're going to be here for the long haul. This is great. God was blessing the ministry. God was shaping Christina and I. We were growing in our faith like we had never grown before. Uh, through, through what the Lord was doing in the ministry and in our hearts. And then the rug was taken out from under our feet and we had to move back to Canada. Every, we didn't understand what was happening. Church politics and there's a bunch of other messy stuff that happened that I was, that, that I, I, literally I was like, Lord, I don't even know if you're calling me to this work of, of ministry anymore. I don't, I don't, maybe, maybe I should just go in a business. Maybe I should just go and work at Starbucks. Maybe I should just do something. Like, I don't, I don't know what is happening. I don't know why you would allow this to happen. And I was doubting everything. I was doubting whether or not God had really truly called us to Korea. I was doubting every single thing that had happened. Can I even hear from God? Am I even praying what, right? Am I even reading this? You know, everything was coming down and I didn't know what to do. We didn't know what to do. From those ashes, in those moments of self-doubt, of wallowing in pain, in hardship, never could I have imagined that God would bring the beauty that we see in our life today. And being a part of our church family here, and being able to do what I get to do through Lifeway, and being able to parent three beautiful children, in the community, our life group, the community that we're experiencing, there's no way that I could have even, if someone had told me this is what was going to happen, what is it, eight or nine years before, I would not have believed it. I was like, there's no way, no way, no way that this, that life could have been what it is today. But God is in the business of redemption. God is in the business of bringing making beauty out of those ashes. When we allow those trials to come to completion, when in those trials we don't let the enemy take, you know, grab a foothold in our life, but instead in those trials, in that pain, when we don't believe it, we get on our knees and we sing, blessed be the name of the Lord. I will not allow the enemy to sow seeds of doubt in my life. I will not allow the enemy to sow seeds of, 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 of hatred in my life. I will instead lift this up to the Lord because God is doing this for, God is allowing this to happen for a reason. And he will redeem it in his time. So I will trust him in this. What would it look like if we Every time we encountered trials, every time we encountered pain and temptation, that was our response. How do you think the enemy would respond? Shoot, that doesn't work anymore. (laughs) He's the father of all lies and he'll come up with another way. What would it look like if in every situation like this, we responded with praise? 
In verse 13, we read, No one undergoing a trial should say, I am being tempted by God. Do you hear that? No one undergoing a trial should say, I am being tempted by God, since God is not tempted by evil and he himself doesn't tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. Have you ever wondered if sometimes the trials that you face are a result of your own doing? We see here that God is not a tempter. That, that's Satan's business. Satan is the father of lies and he is a tempter. And it says in verse 14 that we are tempted when we are drawn away. We are tempted when we are enticed by our own evil desire. And sometimes we, through the shows that we watch, through the friends that we have, the movies we go to, the situations we walk into and allow into our lives, sometimes that is what is opening the door to the evil one's temptations in our lives. Sometimes it's a result of our own doing. And when we open that door to temptation, the enemy at that first crack rushes in. That's why we justify sin. And that's why sin begets more sin and begets more sin and begets more sin. Because the little crack, the Satan, Satan has his heyday and he wreaks havoc. When we let even a hint of sin into our life, it grows, it spreads, it's kind of like mold. A little bit comes in, and the spores begin to spread. You don't see them spreading, but they're everywhere. And that's what sin does in our hearts, in our lives. And that's why James says in verse 16, don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Don't be deceived because every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights who does not change like shifting shadows. By his own choice, he gave us birth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So don't let the enemy trick you. Satan lies and he says stuff like, if God really loved you, you would not be going through this. Have you ever heard that? If God really loved you, he would protect you, wouldn't he? If God really loved you, everything wouldn't be going the way it is. But we know that is a lie because God loves us and he is for our good. That he is for us and not against us. In Romans 8.1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So we say, get behind me, Satan. In the name of Jesus Christ, not through our power, but through the power of the name of Jesus Christ. And we say, Lord, we, I know, I, I want to consider it a great joy that I'm going through these trials. Thank you, Lord, that this is happening in my life. I don't know, and you can be honest, I don't know how you are going to redeem and restore this. I don't know what you're going to, why this is happening. I don't know. And I don't know, and I'm okay not knowing because I know that you know. And I know that you are going to use this for your glory. So Lord, may you be glorified. Imagine praying that to the face of Satan. God, may you be glorified through my pain right now. God, may your kingdom advance through my pain right now. Lord, may the lost in this world come to know you through my pain right now. 
Imagine prophetically praying that prayer. Satan would be like, oh, shoot. (laughs) And we prayed in truth. We prayed in faith. We asked God for wisdom. We say, Lord, have your way in me. Lord, may your kingdom come. Lord, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Imagine if that was the first thing that came out of our mouth. Satan also lies and he tries to condemn us by saying things like, you are beyond the point of forgiveness. You know what everyone's going to think about you? There's no way God can use this. There's no way you can be forgiven. And those again are lies. They're lies from the pit of hell. Because in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, we, it reads, No temptation has come upon you except what is common to humanity. But God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation, he will always and also provide a way out so that you may be able to bear it. You are never beyond the grasp of God. You can never be beyond that. God, God's love is perfect. His love is unconditional. And no matter what you've done in your life, God can redeem and bring beauty from those ashes. So let's remember that every good and perfect gift is from above. Let us remember that God is for us and not against us. Let us remember that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let us remember that God does not change in nature. That God is not malevolent. That God is not tricky. That God is the source of truth. Let us remember that God is good and he is the source of all life. This is the God that we worship. Then his name is Jesus Christ. 